Okay, another weekday, another Locked on Syracuse for you. Your only daily Syracuse podcast out there. It is Tim Leonard, Tyler Aki, as always, here with you. And today is part one of a two-part series we're going to drop here on Thursday and Friday, chatting with Ben Burroughs over at Syracuse.com. He covers recruiting for them very, very closely. And today we kind of look at where Syracuse is at in the transfer portal, who is on their radar currently. Obviously, Alan Griffin is one of those guys. We dive into the chances that Alan Griffin could come to Syracuse and where he would fit into that 2-3 zone if he did come. Joshua Morgan, obviously another name at the center position. Ben has some good intel on how the coaches view him and really the chances that they could land Joshua Morgan out of Long Beach State. And then we kind of go into Aaron Estrada a little bit as well. That point guard, he's kind of the latest guy to jump into the fold here for Syracuse. But Ben has some intel there on why it might be a little bit misleading that Aaron Estrada put Syracuse in his top three. So anyway, without any further delay, let's get into our great conversation, part one of two, here with Ben Burroughs of Syracuse.com. All right, Ben Burroughs is on the line now. He covers Syracuse basketball for Syracuse.com and more specifically is on the recruiting beat a little bit. Ben, we're going to have a nice chat here about recruiting and where the transfer portal is at for Syracuse. Before we get into that, though, how are you and your family doing during all this ordeal right now? You know, we're, do- we're doing pretty well, uh, to be honest. Just kind of working from home, laying low. Luckily, nobody is sick yet. And so we're just trying to hang in there while getting mauled by the pets every day. Um, but other than that, it's been pretty good. So what's your, what's your setup like when you work from home? Like if you're on zoom conferences or stuff like that, like what's your background? Like, is that, is that <laughs> something that you're really touting or do you turn the camera off when you do the zoom conferences? Uh, camera's usually off, but if you did have it, if I did have it on, you'd see some pretty cool uh, sports stuff. I've got a, I don't know if you guys know Ryan Simpson does some really cool sports art. So I've got a couple okay. uh, couple graphics up. I've got uh, Russ Westbrook. I've got a Muhammad Ali one. I've got a combo of Penny with Shaq back with the magic. Ooh, um, I like some that. pretty cool stuff. I've, I've got a pretty good background going on. Um, All right. But unfortunately, Maybe you should turn, the con- turn the camera on for the next one. How about that? <laughs> I'll think about it. I'll think about it. All right. Um, so... Before we even get into the recruiting stuff, everything that is going on on Twitter right now, of course, there's these big ACC basketball fan polls, and (laughs) everyone's up in arms right now because Syracuse dominates the Final Four, and I know a lot of Syracuse fans actually wanted Pearl to be the eventual winner, so leave just Syracuse to step on their own toes, but I mean... From what you're seeing, are, are you surprised that Syracuse has garnered this much support in these ACC fan polls? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose it's my own fault to count out Syracuse fans, but, <laughs> you know, it, it is a little breed. surprising. Yeah, <laughs> it is a little surprising, especially with some of the guys that they were having to go up against. Like, a, a, was it Pearl that went up against Zion? Um, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I believe that's Tim right. Duncan, too, I think. He took down. Yeah. I mean, Michael Jordan, was it Derek Coleman and Michael Jordan, I think, was one of them? Yeah. 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 And I, I think Coleman was down by a ton at one point. And you just see this surge. And I, I think that. And then Noons really started goes, tweeting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> leave, it, leave it to Noons Magician and, and Sean Keeley and those boys to get everybody riled up about stuff. Um, yeah. You know, it's my own fault for, for doubting how rabid some of these fans can get. But, I mean, you, you pack 30,000 strong in a carrier dome in the, in the middle of the winter. You should have expected this to happen. 
Exactly. I love seeing all the NC State fans upset. I'm from down <laughs> around North Carolina, so that is uh-huh. fine by me. I saw the anyway. Duke men's basketball Twitter account even replied saying, hey, none of these guys played in the ACC, and yeah, they're like yeah. fixing their ties and stuff. And it's yep. just classic Duke, classic Duke. Well, blame yep. the ACC for putting those guys in the poll then anyway. Yeah. But anyway, so Syracuse hang the we're going to have Ben on uh, a little bit earlier last week, and we're going to talk about Patrick Tepay because you were ch- chatting with him a little bit. And mm-hmm. then, of course, I think I texted you that night, and then he goes out and announces he's going to Duke. So yeah. we can't really talk about him too much. But just briefly, how how close do you think Syracuse was to getting him, and was it a surprise when you saw it was Duke? So I'll say that I I wasn't – super surprised that it was Duke based on my conversations with Pat. Um, you know, I, I talked to him at length for a story a while back and then we had been texting back and forth over the course of the last few weeks. Um, one, I was kind of surprised that Duke got involved at all. Um, but I was not surprised that he picked Duke because based on our conversations, the really important things were the role he was going to play, how good the team was going to be and academics. And hypothetically, he checks all those boxes for Duke and, and they check all the boxes for him. Um, plus, you have the the geographical link. He's a Charlotte kid. Obviously, uh, a lot of his family went to North Carolina. So I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic, um, but not shocked that he picked the Blue Devils. I think it's going to be a great situation for both parties in terms of how close Syracuse was. I thought Maryland would have been the favorite coming in and then when he eliminated them I thought and this was before Duke got involved I thought he was going to come to Syracuse I really did Um, because he would have been able to come in I think he would have started over Barama Sidibe from day one I think they could have found ways to to have these super big lineups with Sidibe and Tepe and Merrick Dolajai in there some really funky interesting things um, my concern when I did talk to him the first time was I didn't think Syracuse academically would have been a good enough fit. Specifically, he used the word like adequate when referring to that. And he he was really high on academics being super important. And we shouldn't be shocked. He went to Columbia. Um, he's a super smart kid. That's important for him. I'm not sure that he's going to be an MBA guy. So he really needs to get a great degree. And he's going to do that at Duke. Well, Columbia and Duke, that's about as impressive as it gets on the resume. You mentioned those boxes that he had in his mind. How many of those do you think in your mind Syracuse checked for him? So I think I think the playing time he would have was a checked box. I think whether or not Syracuse would have been good was sort of up in the air. He was really concerned about Elijah leaving and Syracuse not being able to replace him. Um, I think if you look at the current roster, without any additional transfers or anything like that, just the current roster and the incoming class, I'm not sure who fills that void, right? You know, hypothetically, Quincy Garrier slots into the three where Elijah was, but they are just drastically different players. Um, So I think that was a concern. Uh, I think geographically, they checked the box strictly because it's an ACC school, and I'm under the impression that his family didn't get to see in any of his games when he was in New York City. So even getting to go to the away games 
uh, in North Carolina would have been a huge plus. So geographically, I think they checked the box. Um, playing time, I think they would have checked the box. Whether or not how good Syracuse would have been, that's up in the air. And academically, I think he was sort of unsure. He also talked about like a certificate program that he could, he could get with Syracuse instead. And I'm not sure he was super high on that. So obviously now kind of a plan B maybe is Joshua Morgan, the mm-hmm. Long Beach State transfer, another center, another skinny center, which Syracuse has had a habit of going <laughs> yeah. after lately, I guess. But he kind of just named Syracuse as one of the a lot of teams that are interested in him. So are you hearing anything in regards to this being a serious likelihood that maybe Syracuse is going to make a shorter list there? Uh, I think so. I, I do know that Syracuse... And, and we might talk about this later in terms of whether or not Syracuse lands on people's lists and it's actually serious or not. Um, but I, I have been told that Syracuse really likes Josh Morgan. Um, I think he's a California kid. I want to say he's from Sacramento. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether or not he goes completely across the country to Syracuse is a different story. But in terms of there being interest, I'm under the impression that it is serious. So what type of player would Syracuse be getting in Morgan if he came to the Orange? I I think he would be sort of that that roaming, shot-blocking, long center that would really fit great within the zone. I I think he would sort of be a a bigger, more athletic, longer version of Barama that, you know, the the guy that cleans up a lot of the mistakes and I I want to say he was uh, conference defensive player of the year as a freshman, I want to say. Um, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, biggest concern for me, though, is that he's a sit one kid. So unless over the summer, the NCAA and everybody gets together and actually figures out the waiver stuff, I'm not sure that he actually helps Syracuse immediately. And I'd be curious because he he if he doesn't get a waiver and doesn't come in with the 2020 kids, I'd be curious how he affects the 2021 class, especially because I think Syracuse loves Mac Etienne, and I think it's pretty mutual there. So I'd, I'd be curious how that dynamic works out. As a quick sidebar here, you mentioned the sit one and the vote, and I know there's been some reports. I think John Rothstein said that they're maybe pushing that back to July now, that vote. I guess they aren't going to hop on a Zoom conference and do it that way. But <laughs> yeah. What have have you heard anything in regards to because when I look at the transfer portal from an outsider's perspective and I see so many players, it does feel like this is a more robust year than normal. Do you think mm-hmm. that has anything to do with the fact that maybe a lot of people think this vote could be passed this summer and someone who was a sit one last year could actually be immediately eligible? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm not sure why a lot of kids, if they didn't think that there was a, a good possibility that they would bother doing something like that, especially because the whole act of going into the transfer portal is sort of like a a soft severing of the relationship. Um, You know, I'm I'm really not sure how you go about putting yourself in the portal and then coming back to a school. And a lot of these, especially the high level kids, they want to play immediately. Um, So, you know, I, I don't have any inside information on that, but just sort of reading the tea leaves, I, I think that probably is the case, that it, it would get past the summer. And I think common sense, the NCAA has been a little bit better at that recently. Um, and the concept of, of transferring and not sitting a year has really gotten a lot of support that I, I would be pretty shocked if it didn't actually pass this summer.
if they actually get to vote. Yeah, Tim and I like to be social media sleuths sometimes, and we'll go out <laughs> and and we look into if you actually post, that is the complete severing of the ties. But if you don't post, you're still you, there's still a shot you might come back. So right, that, that's the right. way we like to to look at things. Another guy who's got Syracuse on one of his short lists is Alan Griffin, a guy who, mm -hmm. being from Chicago, I'm pretty familiar with. I've watched his game for the past couple of years while he was at Illinois. But Syracuse, in his top six, how do you think he would change the rotations and, and everything like that if he does end up at Syracuse? Man, I love Alan Griffin's game. I think he would be exactly what Syracuse needs, yeah, I'm to with be you. quite honest. Um, I think... It's sort of, I know there's already been talk on some of the forums and fan boards and stuff like that about how to, you know, how does he fit into the rotation? I think you figured that out later. He's incredibly talented. He's bouncy. He's a really good shooter. Whether or not he defends, I don't know. You play the zone. You figure that out later. You just, you get the talent and you figure that stuff out later. Um, in terms of how he actually does fit into that rotation, I think maybe he's a candidate to sort of play guard on defense and small forward on offense specifically because I think maybe buddy could shift to the back of the zone, maybe try to hide buddy at the back of the zone. And offensively, I don't, I don't think that would change a lot for buddy because he's not a ball handler anyway. You know, he played shooting guard, but he was more of a spot up shooter. So I, I, I think even if we don't want to give it official names, Buddy on offense is basically a small forward. Even this past year, Elijah was basically the shooting guard on offense. He was the guy that was sort of the secondary ball handler. Buddy catching the ball and, and swinging it at the top of the key doesn't really count um, as being a ball handler. So I'm, I, I think that's something that you sort of figure out later. Um, and then the spacing would be great, him being an, an extra ball handler, which I think they definitely need. On offense, I think he would be so good for them, even just to practice. They only have three scholarship guards right now, including Kadari Richmond coming in for this cycle. So in general, I, I think they have to target the guard position in the portal. And unfortunately, he's another sit one kid. Um, but regardless, I, I think he's a guy that they really need to make a priority. Yeah, I'm really impressed with how talented he is just from his highlight tapes and everything. And I think he's the type mm -hmm. of player, if he was immediately eligible next year, he could be competing for that starting spot, whether you Absolutely. want to give it to Quincy or not. But the thing that was a little bit puzzling with him is he only played 18 minutes a game at Illinois. And I know, mm -hmm. you know, he had a couple suspensions or he had one suspension, I should say, and a couple other technicals in another game. So just as an overall player, you mentioned that you really like his game. What is it specifically that could really make an impact if he came to Syracuse? I think it's the shooting is going to be the biggest part. Um, you know, I, I think last year he was a 40% shooter from three. Um, overall, I think he was just under 50% from the floor. Um, he's, he's not going to facilitate the offense, but I think it's just a pure score. He's going to be a guy that you can give the ball to and say, go get us a bucket. Right now, surveying the current roster, no transfers or anything. I think Kadari Richmond coming in and possibly Joe Gerard are going to be the only guys that you can say, go get us a bucket. We're going to give you the ball. We're going to get out of the way. We need you go to go get a bucket. I don't think anybody else on the team is capable of doing that right now. Um, 
So I think he's he's a guy that slots right into that Elijah Hughes role. I think it would be a smooth transition. And in general, I, th- I think, you know, he's he's good at a ton of stuff. I was, I was looking through his Ken Palm numbers. His offensive rating is insane. Um, he was a great defensive rebounder. He was a great offensive rebounder. Uh, there was something else I, I saw that he was super good at. So overall, I think over the course of, well, I assume he's going to play 38 minutes a game. I think his numbers could explode <laughs> with Syracuse. You know, he, he looks like he's good at a lot of different stuff. Yeah, that's one of the jokes that we like to make is that, I mean, his per 40 numbers are unbelievable. And no one likes to use per 40 as an actual statistic. But with Syracuse, it's actually a real statistic because you do play yeah. 40 minutes every game. So <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, there's obviously some concerns maybe with his character as well. I mean, the Purdue mm-hmm. thing is a real sort of blemish on his resume. Is that something that maybe this coaching staff or the program is concerned about in bringing in a guy like Griffin? I don't know. I mean, watching the Purdue incident, it was definitely worthy of being ejected, but I sort of looked at it as something of he thought he thought about doing it and he wanted to follow through with it, but it wasn't like incredibly egregious, you know, he steps on a guy, but it it wasn't, you know, a Grayson Allen kick to the head or a trip or something like that. Um, He sort of like started to step on the guy and then took a little bit of pressure off. And I think in the moment realized he had made a huge mistake. Um, I think it's something you probably talk to him about, but at the end of the day, they're, you know, he's an 18 year old kid. They make stupid mistakes, stupid decisions all the time. I don't know that I necessarily want to pin his whole character on a terrible moment that we got to see on the Big Ten Network. Uh, it's, I think, a little bit of a concern, but I, I, I wouldn't be super worried about it. I, I don't think that would be a deal breaker for me. So Alan Griffin is down to six schools now. And originally, when Tyler and I first saw his name pop up, we figured Duke might be the front runner just because of his brother, who's committed yep. in the 2021 class. But Duke is not one of those six schools. So now, when I look not at yet. the other, they can't well, resurface. <laughs> Kate could sneak in last minute, as we know. But at least in this six that's being reported right now, he Duke's not in there. And when I look at the right. other schools that Syracuse is competing with, it does feel like this is maybe a battle they could win. But are you hearing anything on what the chances are that Griffin actually comes to Syracuse? I haven't heard anything specifically. I've tried getting in, in touch with them, haven't been able to do that. Um, I don't think Mike Waters has heard anything either. We try to we try to talk a little bit. Um, you know, I, just sort of looking at the, at the group of, of schools that Syracuse is in, Arizona is always going to be a factor for people. I know there's sort of already a previous relationship with Dayton. Um, but I'm just not, I'm not sure that that's as significant as, as people want to play it up to be Iowa state unsure about Miami. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're a destination Texas, maybe he, maybe Shaka smart can, can wow him and, and pull him in. But I, I think Syracuse would be able to pitch him on the fact that, uh, he he's going to come in and if he wants to be a star, there's going to be an opportunity to be a star. And I think that's part of the pitch that SU has been able to give some of these transfers recently of you're going to come in. And if you have NBA aspirations, if you're not an NBA, like if you're an actual NBA player, people are going to know when you're at Syracuse because you're going to be playing 37, 38 minutes a game. You're going to get all the shots you can get. Um, 
So I, I think that's the pitch there. No inside info, but I, I, I think Syracuse is positioned pretty well. Um, geographically, I'm not sure how much of, a, of a, an impact Central New York has. I know he's from Westchester County. Um, and maybe he wants to play against his brother, you know? Yeah. Maybe, he, maybe that relationship is there and he decided he doesn't want to play against his brother um, or he doesn't want to play with his brother. He'd rather play against his brother. And then I think a couple of those schools as well, like I think Arizona has a bunch of guys coming back. Um, I think uh, Miami had a couple guards graduate, I want to say. I'm not sure about Texas, but, you know, again, with Syracuse, he, he's going to come in and he, he could play 37 minutes, and I'm, I'm not sure that anybody else can really offer him that. So with – Tim and I tried to – Lewis and Clark this through the treasure map of everything <laughs> – his dad is a is a NBA assistant coach. He was on the Raptors bench. He's been on a number of NBA benches across the league. Jim Beheim is this Team USA, Syracuse, just one of the biggest names in coaching in basketball history. Is there some sort of overlap between the two of them? Because coaches know coaches to some degree in in some capacity. But do do you know of any relationship between the two of them? I'm not sure. Um, that's actually something I haven't gotten a chance to look in, into. And even when there is a relationship, I mean, uh, Griffin and Autry coached to pay over, uh, last summer. That's right. Yeah. Um, and that, that, mm-hmm. that ended up not being that much of a factor. Um, so who knows? I, I, I think in general, even if they don't sort of run in the same circles or even if there wasn't a ton of overlap, I think Jim is at the sort of level now where if he wants to get in contact with somebody or vice versa, it can happen and and they can sort of make that relationship happen. I'm not sure that it needed to occur previously. All right. So shifting gears to another guy now, and he popped up today, Aaron Estrada. So this news Mm -hmm. comes out today that you got a guard from St. Peter's has Syracuse in his top three. It's Syracuse, Creighton and Oregon. Now, I saw Mike Waters, who Tyler and I love and you work with over at Syracuse.com, said something to the effect of, that's not exactly what I'm hearing, that Syracuse is maybe necessarily after this guy that hard. So what have you heard maybe from talking to Mike or anything about Estrada? So all I'll say is that um, I've I've reached out to him specifically and haven't heard anything back. Um, But all I'll say is that I know who Mike's, sources are and if this is what he's saying he's solid you know i'm i i don't want to throw estrada under the bus in any way um, yeah but if mike is saying that it doesn't seem to be that serious maybe it's he's a player that syracuse sort of kicked the tires on um maybe they talked to him at some point and didn't offer a scholarship that happens a lot with a lot of kids that they actually don't get offered by a power five school but they want to sort of fill out their list um with with a bunch of high level schools when really there's you know they want to have a top five but really it, it's only a top two um that's a lot more common than people think um so if i hear anything back from from aaron i'll, I'll let everybody know i'll write something but a, as of now i think mike is solid so you say that's more common than maybe people think you mean mm-hmm. some sometimes a kid will just throw syracuse in there to bolster up its list yeah, I think so. You know, there are a lot of kids that, and it, I think the situation might not be that they completely have no connection to Syracuse. Right. A lot of times Syracuse will check in on a player 
and they'll sort of feel like they are not really in the mix. And so they'll stop recruiting said player. And then a top five comes out and somehow they're back in the mix. And really they haven't been talking to them for a while. I, I know at least one kid over the past couple of years put Syracuse in like a top three or a top five. I won't, I won't say who it is, but Syracuse hadn't talked to him for like eight months. And then huh. he pops back up on the radar and, and has Syracuse in the mix. And everybody's like, we, I mean, we're happy to be here, but we were under the impression that we weren't actually part of this. Um, so I, I think that happens more than, than people give it credit for, especially now in the day and age where the recruiting process is sort of a spectacle and it's not just narrowing down your schools. You've got to have a top 10 and you've got tipped and edits putting together graphics for you and all these recruiting sites are doing stuff for you. And you want to have the top 10, you want to have the top five, and then you want to have the press conference where you've narrowed it down to three and you get to put on the hat. Um, I think that's turned into a big thing now and, and people you know, they they might have Syracuse might have kicked the tires on Estrada and maybe not are maybe they aren't as involved as Estrada thinks. But, uh, you know, I, I think it happens from time to time a lot, definitely a lot more often than, than people assume it does. Well, yeah, I mean, I want to date Kate Upton. She's in my top five, but I'm clearly not in her top <laughs> five. So um, but yeah. no, with a guy like Estrada. When you're looking for playing time at the point guard position, which is what he would slot in to do, whether or not this whole sit one rule passes or not this summer, I mean, playing time at the point guard position might be kind of tough to maneuver around. If he sees Bryson and and Jalen all transferring, what's his motivation to go and play at Syracuse? No clue. Absolutely no clue. I I was surprised when I saw that. I'm not sure where he would slot in, especially because... Technically, he's already, even if he were to decide to come to Syracuse, he's already been recruited over. You know, Kadari Richmond is hypothetically coming in as a point guard, combo guard. So I'm I'm just not sure that there's really a path there. Um, I thought best case scenario is he sort of fills the Howard Washington role. And to be honest, if I'm Syracuse, I would rather just have Howard Washington back instead yeah. of bringing in a completely yeah. new kid that you're going to have to teach the system to. And I mean, I'm, I love Howard Washington. I've, I've liked him for a long time. Join the club. Needed, yeah. I, I thought he needed to play more and you know, he's not a superstar by any means. I'm not even sure that he's like a great player at the ACC level, but I, I thought he was a nice little backup guard that uh, didn't get enough playing time. And so if I was Syracuse, I'd, I'd just rather convince Howard to, to come back and, pitch him on a bigger role than try to bring in a completely new kid. Yeah. I mean, I've always said, I think Howard Washington of anyone on the roster knows the defense the best. So Mm -hmm. that certainly would be something interesting if he did decide to come back. And I don't believe he went on Twitter and posted anything saying he was officially in the portal or transferring, Uh, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, But anyway, so with everything that's going on with coronavirus, I mean, these summer workouts, these summer sessions are all but canceled effectively yeah. at this point. How much do you think that's going to impact recruiting, specifically with Syracuse? Because, okay, you've got to bring these guys in and maybe they need a little more time out on the floor to learn the defense and everything that goes into the 2-3 zone before they actually mm-hmm. get on the floor and play a game. Do you think that's going to, or how much exactly is that impacting their recruiting, both on the, the high school front as well as in the transfer market? 
I think it's tough. I mean, I think best case scenario, especially in the situation that we're in with the coronavirus, I think best case scenario is that Josh Morgan and Alan Griffin, if those are the two guys that you hope Syracuse lands, I think it would be better for everybody that they would get to sit a season because they're not going to get those summer workouts. They're going to be months behind getting that work in. Um, and I think Kadari Richmond and Woody Newton are going to be pretty far behind as well um, without having that time. You know, the, even if they're not working out in an official capacity, you like to get those kids on campus super early, working out in those facilities, at least get them on, you know, the meal plan and, and the weight plan. And that's just not going to happen in this situation. So I think in general, everybody's going to be far behind. And from a recruiting standpoint, one way that I think Syracuse might have a small advantage, I, I looked at the 24-7 offers for Alan Griffin, Syracuse wasn't on there, but I'm pretty sure that they offered him yeah, almost right. right after he committed to Illinois. And there was sort of, you know, like, if you wanted me, you should have offered right. earlier. <laughs> but I think, I think some of those situations where Syracuse was already involved with a kid could give them a slight advantage because you're not going to be able to visit campus. One of the reasons that I thought Syracuse could have an inside track at Tepay was of that final list of like Ohio State and Duke and Syracuse, outside of him visiting Duke as a kid, um, Syracuse was the only place that he visited in any official capacity. And so if that was going to play a factor, I thought Syracuse had the advantage. And so in general, I think that extends to a lot of these other kids. Um, maybe it doesn't mean anything. A lot of kids, you know, commit to schools that they've never actually been on campus to. Syracuse doesn't like to operate that way specifically. Um, but, you know, who knows? Maybe there's already a connection with Griffin. And, and because he can't visit other schools, maybe Syracuse has an inside track. Um, I, I think in general that that's going to be a hurdle for a, a, lot of, a lot of players in a lot of schools coming up. So we're going to cut part one of our chat with Ben Burroughs right there from over at Syracuse.com. But part two coming out tomorrow. Don't worry. We'll have it for you in your podcast feed on Friday. And, Really good conversation in part two. Be sure to stick around for that. We go more into a broader look at where Syracuse basketball recruiting is at right now, how to evaluate things since Mike Hopkins has left and where they stack up with some other programs currently. And also, Ben gives you a couple names to look out for in that 2021 class and 2022, but 2022, that's shaping up to be a big class. 2021, I think, is important because been a little bit on the quieter side. So Ben dives into that. So that'll be a fun conversation tomorrow, but that'll do it for today's edition of Locked on Syracuse. For Tyler Aki, my partner, I'm Tim Leonard. Thanks for listening. As always, be sure to check us out on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse, and we will chat with you guys tomorrow on Friday.